This is Getting to Know Your Bible, a program dedicated to the proclaiming of the good news of Jesus Christ. Here's Billy Lambert. It is a pleasure to be with you today on Getting to Know Your Bible. We do appreciate those of you that are watching today, especially if this is your first time to watch Getting to Know Your Bible. Now today on our telecast, our sermon is entitled, Seeing the Unseen. Seeing the Unseen. I hope that you'll stay tuned. Now today we continue to offer a free Bible correspondence course. And we offer this course to help you in your study of the Bible. And we want you to have this course, and may I emphasize again, it is free. In order that you might know more about the course and know how to receive it, let's pause for just a moment. To help you in your study of the Bible, we want to send you this Bible Correspondence course. This course is non-denominational. It's based on the Bible. It's conducted by mail, and it's free. To receive this course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, Post Office Box 314, Somerdale, Alabama, 36580. Or call toll-free 1-877-711-5214. I want to read now from 2 Corinthians, the fourth chapter, beginning in verse 16. Therefore we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. I want you to note in verse 16 that Paul wrote, We do not lose heart. I want you to think about that expression, we do not lose heart. You know, there's a lot more to life than meets the eye. Some of the most real things of life cannot be seen. Well, someone says, well, can you name just one thing? What about a small atom that that you cannot see with the naked eye? And so there are lots of things in life. What about a thought? What about love? What about air that we breathe? There are many things that are real but we're not able to see those things. I fear that we perhaps make too much of the seen things versus the unseen things. That is, we are so attached to this world and to things that are in the world and compose the world versus the things of the next life that cannot be seen. Jesus in Luke 12 and 15 said, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. And so there's a lot more to life than what we have in our hand. There's more to life than meets the eye. 
In the third chapter of Colossians 1 and 2, the Bible says, If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above and not on things on the earth. So rather than being concerned about the things that we have down here and our acquisition of more and more stuff, we need to be concerned about that which we cannot see. There's an interesting story in the Old Testament in 2 Kings, the 6th chapter, of the occasion when the Syrian army surrounded the house of the prophet of God. And the prophet's servant looked out and he saw that army. And he said, well, they, we're surrounded. And the prophet said, well, they're more with us than there are with them. And in my mind, I can see the servant taking the second look. More with us than there are with them. There are only two of us, and that's a whole army. And then the prophet said, Lord, open his eyes that he might see. And when the Lord opened the eyes of the serpent, of the servant of God, he could see horses and chariots of fire that were at their beck and call. And we are, we are in a world that is calculated to put emphasis on the things that we, cannot, that we can see. But we need to take a look at the things that we cannot see. You know, Paul says, we do not lose heart. Have you ever wondered why some people lose heart and live in the Christian life? Why some people lose heart in their marriage? Why they just give up as if to say there's no need in trying to go on? Well, sometimes people lose heart because they feel like they have been betrayed. Sometimes people lose heart because they've been going through some hard times, maybe hard financial times. Sometimes people lose heart because they have problems at home. There are many reasons that people live, lose heart and people are willing to give up in the living the Christian life. But Paul said, I'm not going to do that. It wasn't because Paul did not have problems. Go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and look at verse 8. We are hard-pressed on every side. Have you ever felt like that, hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed? We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Well, Paul was knocked down, but he was not knocked out. He had problems, but Paul did not allow the problems to master his life. He overcame them. And in spite of them, he said, we do not lose heart. Now, how do you suppose that a man could go through all that Paul went through, hard pressed on every side and the like, all of those things happened to him, and yet he's not willing to give up? I believe the secret is found in the latter part of this chapter where Paul talked about seeing the unseen things of life. Seeing the unseen. And of course this touches into the realm of our faith. In Hebrews 11 in verse 1 the Bible says now faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. To the man or woman of faith, the unseen is not unreal. It's just unseen. And there are many things in life that we cannot see that we have faith in. I believe in gravity. God's natural law called gravity. 
I see it demonstrated every day in my life. I'm demonstrating it now. I'm, I'm sitting in this chair behind this desk. And if it were not for the law of gravity, well, then I'd be floating around up in the air, and wouldn't you get a chuckle out of that? You see, there are many things we believe in that we're not able to see. Faith is believing in the reality of what we cannot see with the human eye. Someone says, well, Brother Lambert, that's just difficult for me to conceive. There was a young student at the University of Alabama a number of years ago that brought a young man who was a uh, student at the university who was from Afghanistan, brought him to see the late Gus Nichols, who was a great preacher of the gospel and wanted Brother Nichols to talk to him in hopes of converting him, and then he would go back to his homeland and, and he would teach his people. But in talking to him, this young man let Brother Nichols know that he did not believe in God because he could not see God. He, he did not believe in God because he could not touch God, taste God, and the like. It was difficult for him to believe in something that he could not see. Several years ago, there was a gospel preacher by the name of Joe Warlick. And Brother Warlick went down one Sunday morning to catch the train to go to his preaching appointment. That tells about how old this story would be. It's a very old story. But there was an atheist who came to catch the train as well. And, and as they were waiting for the train to come in, there was a little boy who came by and he had his Bible in his hand. And so the man who was not a believer in God called out to the little boy and he said, Son, what's that you have in your hand? He said, It's my Bible, sir. He said, Do you believe in God? He said, Yes, sir, I do. He said, Son, let me ask you a question. Have you ever seen God? The little boy said, No, sir. He said, Son, have you ever touched God? He said, No, sir. Have you ever tasted God? No, sir. You ever smelled God? No, sir. Almost had the little boy in tears. And Brother Warlick stood that just as long as he could. And he said, Sir, you are a man and I'm a man. This is just a little boy. Sir, why don't you address yourself to me? And let me ask you something, sir. Do you have a mind? The atheist said, Of course I have a mind. He said, Well, have you ever seen it? He said, Well, no. He said, Have you ever tasted it? No. Have you ever touched it? No. Have you ever smelled it? No. Well, he said, By using the same logic, that you're trying to use to prove that God doesn't exist. I can prove you don't even have a mind. Faith is believing in what you cannot see. But faith in what you cannot see is based on certain evidence or certain testimony. For example, I believe with all of my heart that the United States of America at one time was involved in a war between the states called the Civil War. I've never been able to understand why it was called a civil war because there's nothing very civil about war. And nonetheless, I believe that happened. Now, the reason I believe that is not because I lived during the Civil War, but because I have seen certain evidence that points to the fact that a war was fought, for instance. I have visited the site of the Battle of Shiloh. 
And there I have seen relics that have been left behind, relics of the war and the battle that was fought there. And throughout the country, there are other sites with certain evidence left behind. So I believe that happened, and the reason I have faith in that is because of the evidence. But now where is the evidence for my faith in God? Where, where is the evidence for my faith in Jesus, my faith in the spirit world, my faith in angels and the like? How, how do I have faith in those things? How can I believe in something that I'm not able to see? You know, I could look up at the heavens at night and, and I can see the expanse above and it can and make me believe that there must be a master designer behind all of that. In fact, the Bible says in Psalms 19 and 1, the heavens declare the glory of God, the firmament showeth his handiwork. But you see, still I've got to have some evidence that I can point to, some testimony that would cause me to believe there is a God. And the evidence for that is found in the Bible. The Bible is the source of our faith. In Romans the 10th chapter and verse 17, the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing comes by the Word of God. Uh, some people have the, the idea that one gets faith in some miraculous type way or that the fact that they have faith is miraculous, but that is erroneous. Faith comes as a result of our being taught something. Our faith comes as a result of being exposed to the evidence of God's Word. You recall in John the 17th chapter, verses 20 and 21, Jesus was praying and he said, Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their Word. Belief comes because of our exposure to the evidence of God's Word. In John the 6th chapter, and in verse 44 and verse 45, the Bible says, And they shall all be taught of God. Everyone therefore that hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh unto me. So we have to hear, we have to learn, we have to be taught to have faith. Our faith comes because of our exposure to the Word of God. And it is when I believe the Bible that I can have faith in the things that I cannot see. Someone says, do you believe God is real? Yes, sir, I believe God is real. God is real. In Genesis 1 and 1, the Bible says, in the beginning, God. So, I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in angels. I believe in heaven. I believe in hell. Why? Because that's what I can read. In the Bible, see the unseen. Have you ever thought about what seeing the unseen ought to do for you? But what will it really do? Well, seeing the unseen will motivate you to live a life of purity. Now, now for a preacher in the 21st century, to talk about purity sounds almost as old-fashioned as an old T-model Ford. Because we live in an age that's not very pure in many ways. 
that there's so much impurity in our world today. And we need to know that God expects us to live that way. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, Blessed are the pure in heart. In Psalms, the 24th chapter, and in verse 3, the question is asked, Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who's not lifted up his soul to an idol nor sworn deceitfully. If we want to see God one day, we have to live lives of purity. Paul told Timothy, keep yourself pure. Pure. Something that is pure is not... Uh, it does not have an admixture in it that would cause it to be polluted or corrupted. For example, if you were to take a glass of pure milk and you were to put a drop of arsenic into that pure milk, it would no longer be pure. It would be corrupted. And it could cause one some serious problems if they were to drink that glass of milk just with a small amount of arsenic in it. So purity means without an admixture in, in with it. Our lives are to be pure. I know that the world is not pure in a lot of ways, but you see Christians are marching to the tune of a different drummer. In James the first chapter in verse 27, there the Bible says pure religion undefiled before God and the fathers this, to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. You see, we're to keep pure, to be pure, to live unspotted from the world. We are not to allow the world system to dictate what we do. That is, in the language of Paul in Romans 12 and 2, be not conformed to this world. Philip's translation says, do not allow the world to squeeze you into its mold. I'm a, an optimist by nature. So I'm not being pessimistic when I say that the greatest danger that is facing the church today, the greatest danger that is facing the Christian home today, the greatest danger that is facing the life of the average Christian today, believer in God and believer in Jesus Christ, is the invasion of the world into their lives. That's our greatest danger. Someone has said that it's okay for a ship to be in the water. But there is danger ahead when the water gets into the ship. Now we're in the world, we're just not of it. And we're not to be conformed to it, we're not to allow it to squeeze us into its mold. There are all kinds of ideas out there in the world today. Ideas about what's right and what's wrong. Ideas about the family. Ideas about what constitutes a marriage. Ideas about the creation of life. All kinds of ideas. And the danger is 
that we will allow people in the world who have no appreciation for the Bible, who have no appreciation for God, who have no appreciation for the Lord Jesus Christ, determine what I'm going to think and what I'm going to believe, and then I have become a part of the world. The Bible says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. There is not room in the human heart for a love of God and a love of the world at the same time. But someone says, Brother Lambert, how are we going to live a life of purity? Well, let me use an Old Testament illustration. I'm going to take you back to the story about Joseph, a young man who was sold by his brothers into slavery. And Joseph eventually was put into the house of Potiphar, made a steward in Potiphar's house. Potiphar put him in charge of everything in his house except one thing, and that was Potiphar's wife. And I'm convinced that Potiphar didn't have any control over his wife. And Potiphar's wife came to young David day after day and time after time. I, I recommend you read the text. And time after time, she tried to seduce him and say, come lie with me, sin with me. And David refused. And this is what David said to her in Genesis 39 and 9. I cannot do this and sin against God. Now, he didn't say, I can't do that and sin against you because it would have been a sin against her. He did not say, I cannot do that and sin against your husband. It would have been a sin against the husband. That he, Joseph did not say, I cannot do that and sin against my father and my mother and my family, for in fact it would have been. He did not say, I cannot do that and sin against myself, for in fact it would have been against a sin against his own soul. But he said, I cannot commit that sin and do that against my God. And he said no to sin. Do you remember the campaign to say no to drugs? And that's in essence to say no to sin. Well, David is the origin originator of the campaign to say no. And he said no to sin when Potiphar's wife tried to seduce him. But what prompted him to say no? And I submit to you that he was prompted to say no by his faith in God, by seeing a God with the eye of faith that could not be seen with the fleshly eye. He said, I can't do that and sin against God. And if we would instill in the hearts of our children today a strong faith in God, a faith in his existence, and cause them to love God with all their heart, with all their soul, and instill within them a faith in the Bible as being the inspired Word of God, the final revelation of God to man today, then when our children attempt it, then they will have the faith, they will have the courage, they will have the backbone to look sin in the face and say no to sin. Why? Because they see the unseen. Wouldn't it be a wonderful thing if that could be instilled in the minds and the hearts of young people throughout the world? And then there are people who actually would like to do away with the Bible. 
They would like to do away with all idea about God and about Jesus Christ, about heaven and hell. They would like to destroy all of that, but that's the very thing that would encourage our young people to live a good life and to be able to look sin squarely in the eye and spit in the devil's face when he tempts them to sin. Oh, we need to be able to see the unseen. But let me mention one other thing that seeing the unseen will do for you. Seeing the unseen will sustain you when trouble comes. Now, if you live long enough in this world, some trouble is coming. Job said, man that's born of woman is a few days and is full of trouble. Job 14, 1. And so I'm speaking to some now who are saying, Brother Lambert, I know exactly what Job meant. Because I'm talking to some right now whose lives have been filled with all kinds of trouble. Some having physical problems. Maybe you have cancer. Maybe you've had heart issues. Maybe you have arthritis that has caused you so many problems. Family problems, economic problems. How do you deal with them? Moses is an example. In Hebrews, the 11th chapter, and in verse 27, he says, By faith Moses forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Moses endured hardship in his life. It was because of his faith in an invisible God, a God he could not see, that he endured to the very end. Let me ask you, do you see the unseen today? Do you really see the unseen? Do, do you see by the eye of faith Jesus Christ hanging on a cross? for the sins of all humanity. Do you believe in Jesus? Do you see today all of the sins that we've all committed against Him that would damn our souls for eternity? Are you willing to repent of all those sins of yours? And are you willing to have them washed away in the blood of the Lamb when you're baptized? Acts 22, 16. Do you see the unseen? May God help us to have great faith in these times. I want to thank you for watching today. I'd like to invite you to visit the Church of Christ in your community. And further, I would like to encourage you to call for the Bible course. And until we meet again, may the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you, is my prayer. Getting to Know Your Bible has been presented by Churches of Christ. If you have a question about the church, or if you would like the location of a Church of Christ near you, or to receive the free Bible course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, 
Post Office Box 314, Somerdale, Alabama 36580 or call 1-877-711-5214. Join us next time for Getting to Know Your Bibles.